Amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. I hope you are all doing well. It is a joy to gather with you this morning in worship. If it's your first time, my name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. Uh, we are just so grateful that you're here worshiping with us, and we will have a chance to connect. And just thank you so much for your visit. So if you just do me a favor, let me know that you're here. You can do that one of two ways. One is just simply text the word welcome to that number that you see right there on the screen. So all you got to do, text welcome to that number. Uh, or we have our welcome cards right out here at our welcome table. As you go back out into the hallway, just look to your right. There's our welcome table with our cards on it. Just fill one of those cards out, leave it on the table. And again, this gives us the chance to reach out and just say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me that favor... I would really appreciate that. And we are going to continue on, church, in our series through the book of Acts. So last week, we finished off chapter 19. Today, we're going to pick back up in chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 20, um, and uh, we'll, we'll get started there in a minute. But Acts chapter 20, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen right here behind me. And before we jump in, I just want to let you know about a really uh, awesome opportunity that the Lord brought to us as a church. So uh, through some connections with uh, Michael and Danielle Anderson over here through the local YMCA, uh, we've been connected with five uh, families in need during this holiday season. And, and we as a church this week are going to be blessing them with a grocery gift card, $200 grocery gift card, and some other stuff uh, just to serve and love on and bless them during this holiday season. So I want to let you know about that. Be praying for these five families. Be praying for continued opportunities, um, not just with these families, but, but with others in this community that we can come alongside and love on and partner and, and tangibly bless. And I just want to let you know, one, so you can be praying, and also, two, uh, to thank you. Thank you for your generosity and your giving. Uh, those of you who I know give on a regular basis and you're sacrificing and, and giving to the Lord and being generous and giving to the church, this is why we give. It allows us this kind of opportunity to bless and to serve and to minister to our community. So for those that give, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your generosity, for your love for Jesus, and for your love for this church. Again, this is, this is what allows us to even consider doing something like this. So thank you guys for that. And again, be praying for these families. All right, so let's jump into Acts. So last week we finished off Acts chapter 19. We saw that, that Paul was ministering in Ephesus and he was there longer than any other place he'd been. He spent three years in Ephesus. And, and in chapter 19, we kind of zoom out and see a wider ministry of what was going on in Ephesus. And we really saw, man, there was some spiritual warfare going on. There's, there's demon-possessed folks. There's uh, battle over idols and worshiping the false gods of the culture. And there's this, this big riot that kind of happens in Ephesus where, where they're coming after Christians, coming after believers. So that's what's going on in Ephesus, just crazy, wild stuff. And we see in Acts chapter 19 that Paul uh, is setting out. He, he's, he's getting ready to leave Ephesus, and he's all set. He's, he's focused on getting back to Jerusalem. So that's where we pick up today. Today we're going to see Paul make his journey back towards Jerusalem to end his third missionary journey. And this also uh, will, will mark the beginning of another transition in the book of Acts. He's starting in Acts chapter 13. We've been completely focused on Paul's missionary work, right? He's been this missionary traveling all over the Roman Empire, bringing the gospel to people. When he gets to Jerusalem, though, what we're going to see, and, and this is foreshadowed, we're going to see this foreshadowed uh, in, our in our passage today, but once he gets to Jerusalem, 
Paul's going to get arrested. So we're going to see in Acts chapter 21, Paul is arrested and put in prison, and he is going to be imprisoned from Acts chapter 21 through the end of Acts. So this ends uh, Paul's free missionary work. Right now, he, he's still free. He's traveling wherever he wants to go. But once he gets back to Jerusalem, that ends, and he's in prison, and we're going to see him testifying. We're going to see him preaching the gospel in front of people in trials. We're going to see him eventually make his way all the way to Rome in Acts chapter 28. So to help preserve the narrative, um, there's also some repetition that's going to happen. Uh, starting today, we're going to take some larger chunks of Scripture. Uh, so hang with me these next few weeks as we end our, our time in Acts. We're going to take some larger chunks. Uh, we won't be able to get into the nitty-gritty details, which is hard for me. I really like that. Um, but in order, like I said, to preserve the narrative and what's going on and make sure we're, we're following along with it, uh, we're going to take some larger chunks here. Um, but, but this is why I encourage you to get connected to community groups, because our community groups are sermon-based small groups. So you're talking about the passage, and that's where we can really get into the details. So we might not be able to cover everything on a Sunday, uh, but you will be able to cover a lot more in your community groups. So stay in your groups, stay connected to that. If you haven't gotten connected to one, uh, this is a great opportunity to, to jump right in. You'll know exactly what we'll be talking about in these weeks. So again, Acts chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to carry it all the way through chapter 21, verse 14. So I hope you're settled in and comfortable because we got some work to do, all right? Let's jump in here. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it says, After the uproar was over, Paul sent the disciples, uh, sent for the disciples, encouraged them, and after saying farewell, departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had passed through those areas and offered them many words of encouragement, he came to Greece and stayed three months. The Jews plotted against him when he was about to set sail for Syria, and so he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Prius from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy and Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us in Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread. In five days we reached them at Troas, where we spent seven days. On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sang into a deep sleep as Paul was kept on talking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. But Paul went down bend over him, embraced him, and said, don't be alarmed because he's alive. After going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating, Paul talked a long time until dawn. Then he left. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. Verse 13, we went on ahead to the ship, sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul on board because these were her instructions since he himself was going by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went on to Metilene. Setting sail from there, the next day we arrived at Chios. The following day we crossed over to Samos, and the next day we came over to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. All right, so let's pause and we make sure we're all on the same page and know what's going on. So let's, let's reference our map here. So we, we leave him, uh, or we left Acts chapter 19 where he was still in Ephesus. So again, that, that's a Western modern day Turkey. So he's in Ephesus. 
and he leaves and, and goes back towards Macedonia. Again, we saw him in Macedonia in Acts chapter 16, where he planted the church in Philippi. So he goes back through Macedonia, makes his way down to Greece, most likely spending three months in the city of Corinth. Now, this is, this is around the, the mid to late 50s, 80s. We're talking 56, 57 AD. When he's in Corinth for those three months, this is most likely where he writes the letter to the church in Rome. Romans, one of the most, uh, biggest, most important books in your New Testament. He writes that during this period of time in Corinth. So then he wants to, again, he's trying to get to Jerusalem. So he wants to set sail from there all the way back over here to Syria. But the Jews prevent that. We don't know what that means. We don't know what was going on. But somehow he was prevented from going. Um, so he can't go there. He has to go back up through uh, through Greece, back up through Macedonia, and sail back across the Aegean Sea over to the port city Troas, which is near the, the top middle of the map there. So he's back in Troas, and in Troas, we, we get a glimpse of what a typical worship service looked like for the early church. I mean, this is not, this is not usual. We don't typically see this, but in, in the book of Acts, what we see here, what they're doing in Troas is they're gathering on the first day of the week. That's significant, because the Jewish background was to gather on Saturday. That was the Sabbath. That would have been the last day of the week for them. Now they're gathering on the first day of the week, Sunday. And that, that marks a significant moment. This is a change. And why they changed that is because the resurrection happened on a Sunday. This is why we gather on Sundays instead of on Saturday. So they're gathering on Sundays. A typical worship service, what we see here, involves meeting on Sunday. It involves the breaking of bread, which was communion for this church. That's why we do communion every single week here. And it involved teaching from Scripture. Now, Paul took it a little too far, right? Like, he, he preached the whole day and the whole night and kept on going, right? Like, Paul preached from the time they started gathering on the first day of the week until midnight, having some poor kid fall asleep and fall out of a window, Paul has to resuscitate the poor man. Like, he just, I don't, like you want to talk about long preaching. Like, y'all, we don't even know. We don't even know. Paul was just going. <clears throat> he was just going, and he kept preaching. <clears throat> he resuscitates the young man. Then he goes back up and preaches some more until morning. This is an all-day, all-night church service. Paul's just going to town. I don't even know how he was able to talk for that long, y'all. It was crazy. So he leaves that morning, and he eventually makes his way to Miletus. And by that point, since from the time, just in 16 verses, from the time he left Ephesus, he goes back around and comes back to another port city in the province of Asia, Miletus. And by that point, he's traveled over 1,500 miles. 16 verses, travels over 1,500 miles. A lot going on here. All right, let's keep going. What happens in the city of Miletus. So he gets to Miletus. Now, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears. And during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, you know that I did not hesitate to proclaim anything to you that was profitable and teach you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. 
Therefore, I declare to you this, that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied them to the ship. Okay, so in the city of Miletus, he, he meets with, and again, this is a port city. You can kind of see it there in the middle of the map there on the edge, again, of modern-day western Turkey. So he, he meets there, and he calls the Ephesian elders to him. And remember, he, he spent three years with these people, and he has a deep love and a deep relationship with this church. And I think that's why he avoids going to them, because he knows, man, I, I, I'm, I need to get to Jerusalem. That's where the Lord is bringing me. I need to get to Jerusalem, but, man, if I go to, to Ephesus— I'm going to hang out there for a long time because I, I love these people, right? Like he wants to spend time with them. So he doesn't, he calls them to meet him. And this is where he encourages them, loves on them as a good pastor, encourages them to continue in faithful ministry to the church. And, and here we, we see, again, a little glimpse of what the local church looked like, how it functioned, how it was led. The, the elders here are called overseers. These are the primary leaders of the local Ephesian church. This is how the early church was governed. It was through the leadership of the elders. And, and he, he calls the elders to do what they've been called to do, to, to shepherd the flock, to, to pastor. That's where we get our word pastor from, to pastor flock, to, to protect the church from false teachers, even from among their own people, to teach and disciple and lead the church. This is what they're called to do. So he, he spends time encouraging these elders. Let's keep going. Chapter 21, starting in verse 1. After we tore ourselves from them, we set sail straight for Kos, the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. Finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail. After we sighted Cyprus, passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre, since the ship was to unload its cargo there. We sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our time had come to an end, we left to continue our journey, while all of them, with their wives and children, accompanied us out to the city, out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said farewell to one another and boarded the ship, and they returned home. When we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. 
After we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul replied, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we said no more, except the Lord's will be done. Okay, so from uh, Miletus, he, he sails and kind of just hops around from port city to port city, uh, most likely, especially with the comment about the cargo. He's with some sort of merchant ship. That's kind of how he was able to get from place to place. So they're hopping in these significant port cities around, uh, again, modern-day Turkey. They eventually make it back over to Phoenicia, the city of Tyre, Ptolemais, and then Caesarea, and eventually he will get to Jerusalem. We'll see that next week. So this is about uh, from uh, Miletus all the way over to the city of Tyre. That, that's about 400 miles by boats. We're seeing Paul here just in these few verses traveling about 2,000 miles or more just in this little bit. So he spends time with the believers in Tyre. He makes it to Caesarea. Philip, that should be another name that's familiar to us. You've been following along with us in the book of Acts. Philip was one of the original seven guys set out to be kind of the, the forerunners to what we see in modern day deacons. So he's one of the seven chosen to serve the widows in the early church. We also saw Philip's ministry in Samaria and eventually making his way to Caesarea in Acts chapter eight, if you remember that. And then we have Agabus the prophet. He comes and he warns Paul about what's gonna happen to him in Jerusalem. But Paul knows this is exactly where he's supposed to go, and he resolves to continue making his way there no matter what's going to happen. So again, this section is all about Paul trying to get to Jerusalem. That's what it's all about. And we even saw, again, in, in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, that Paul says, I, I've, I've set in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I know I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. This is where God is leading me. So he's dead set. He's focused on getting to Jerusalem. But Paul knows this is not going to be a happy trip. It's not going to be a happy trip. He, he knows what awaits him in Jerusalem. <clears throat> it's chains and suffering. That's what awaits him in Jerusalem. And he's warned about this multiple times, just in these few verses. <clears throat> he's warned multiple times that that's exactly what's going to happen. As soon as he gets to Jerusalem, you know what awaits you? It's chains, it's imprisonment, it's suffering. And yet... And yet, this is exactly where God wants him to go. This is exactly where God wants him. Paul is being clearly and specifically led by the Holy Spirit to this exact place in this exact moment. Look back at, at chapter 20, verse 22. Look at what he says. Verse 22, he says, And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit. Compelled by the Spirit. If you underline or highlight in your Bible, circle that word, underline it, do something. That's, a, that's an important word. He's compelled by the Spirit. That word that's translated compelled is the Greek word, the Greek verb deo, deo. And it means to, to bind. It means to, to tie a person or something to something else. Or it could be uh, more figuratively, it could just be like we see here, compelled by duty or law to do something. 
And it's also used of, of taking people into prison and arresting them. And it's also the same word, if you flip over to chapter 21, verses 11 and 13, it's the same word used when it talks about Paul being bound. So when Agabus says the person who owns this belt, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this, that word bind is dough. When Paul says in, in verse 13, then Paul replied, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem. That word bound is the same word, dough. What this tells us is that Paul, he's not worried about being bound by chains because Paul is already bound by something else. He is bound by the Spirit. He's compelled by the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. He is captivated by the Spirit. And see, Paul, in this, in this section where he's just so focused on Jerusalem, Paul shows us, he demonstrates what it looks like to live a life led by the Holy Spirit, to live a life bound by the Holy Spirit. He, he writes this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Paul writes, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So if we're a believer in here, if we are a Christian, say, Travis, you know what? I've put my faith in Jesus. I'm, I'm a Christian. This is what our lives are supposed to look like. We are to live lives where we walk in the Spirit, where we are led by the Spirit, where we are bound by the Spirit, where we are compelled by the Spirit. This is what our lives are supposed to look like. So there's three things here that, that I think we learn from Paul about what it looks like to follow the Spirit wherever he may take us. There's three, three things that we learn about this. We're going to unpack this for the rest of our time here. But following the Spirit leads us to God's Word, it leads us to God's will, and it leads us to God's work. So the first point, if you're taking notes, the first point, the Spirit leads us to God's Word. The Spirit leads us to God's Word. What we see here in this section of verses is that Paul is led by the Spirit to a commitment and a devotion to the Word of God. I mean, not even only in this section. We, we see this all throughout the ministry of Paul. We see this all throughout his letters to the churches. It is all about God's Word. This is the foundation of his life. This is what everything comes back to. It's the Word of God. So what we see in this passage, the ways that we see this is, is uh, go back to, to where he was in, in Troas, right? He's got one opportunity to preach with the believers in Troas. And what does he do? He preaches all day, all night. And it's all about him unpacking the word of God with these believers. Chapter 20, verse 20 says that his ministry in Ephesus was marked with proclaiming and teaching the word of God. Chapter 20, verse 27, he says that he, while he was in Ephesus, taught the whole plan of God. Taught, taught the whole scriptures, the whole plan of God. Chapter 20, verse 32, he calls the Ephesian elders to be committed to the word of God's grace. Chapter 20, verse 23, he tells us when he gets to Jerusalem, what's he going to do? When he gets to Jerusalem, what's he going to do? He's going to testify to the gospel of God's grace. He's going to testify to the word of God. Following the Spirit will always lead us to the word of God. This is the primary way God leads and speaks to believers today. 
It's the primary way. It's not the only way. Not the only way. But it is the primary way. It all starts and comes back to the Word of God. And Jesus tells us this himself in John 14, 26. He says this about the Spirit. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. The Spirit's job, one of the things he does is to teach us and remind us of God's Word. To teach us and remind us of Scripture. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. Jesus continues, he says this in John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. What does the Holy Spirit do when he comes? He speaks the words of God. He speaks the truth of God. He speaks the word of God to us. The Spirit leads us to God's word. Now, you want to hear from God? I mean, we, we talk about that as believers. I mean, I want, to, I want a word from God. I want to hear from God. Does God speak to us? Absolutely. He do, I, I fully believe that he speaks to us, 100%. Definitely believe that. How does he primarily do that? Let's do this. Let's do this. I think we're all, you know, wanting that audible, Travis, this is the voice of the Lord. Go and do this. Yes, Lord. Okay, sounds great. And that would be awesome, right? Like sometimes I'm like, yes, just, Jesus, just, I'll do whatever. I just want you to tell me what to do. So we're, we're constantly looking for a word from the Lord. And yet, how often do we neglect the words that he's already given us? This is how the Spirit primarily speaks to us. And even when he does speak to us apart from God's word, it's not a hello, Travis, listen here. It's a still, quiet voice in our hearts, right? But we got, we got to start with what, what he's already given us. He's already given us a lot of words here. And here's the thing about the Spirit. When it does speak to us, it's not going to go contrary to this, right? When, when somebody says, oh, the Spirit told me to do this, and you're like, uh, but uh, duh, this is something else. Like, you can know that whatever they heard, that's not the Holy Spirit. If you're hearing the voice of the Lord and it's leading you astray from Scripture, if it's telling you something contrary to Scripture, that's not God's voice. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's never going to speak contrary to what he's already given us here. So we start here, right? We, we start with the Word of God. And when, when the Spirit leads us to the Word of God, he leads us to know the Word of God. He leads us to know the Word of God. When we open up our Bibles, we, we should start first by going, Spirit, teach me. Open up my eyes and my heart and my ears to understand what you have for me. And y'all, he loves to answer that prayer. The Spirit loves to answer that prayer. That's part of, remember, we, we just saw that. Jesus said that's his job. One of the things he does is to teach you the Word of God. So when we come to Scripture and we don't understand something, let's go to the Spirit. I do that. All, there's times I read this and I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I got nothing. I have no idea what you're telling me here, Jesus. I, got, I don't understand what I'm reading. Help me out. And he does. He does. He, he leads us to know God's word. He brings understanding. He reminds us of God's word. But y'all, if we're, we're going to know God's word, we got to read God's word. We got to read God's word. So we got to dig into our Bibles, read 
seek to understand, look for the Spirit to lead us and guide us and teach us. So he leads us to know God's Word. He also leads us to desire God's Word. The more we open up the words of Scripture, the more we dig in and read, the more we see this for what it truly is. And y'all, this is, this is awesome. Like this, this is so, so important, so, so good for us. We need this. And the more we read, the more we'll desire it. And that's what the Spirit does. Psalm 19, I love how it describes the Word of God. Psalm 19, starting in verse 7, says this. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. I mean, look at how the word of God is spoken of. The instruction of the Lord is perfect. It renews our life. It makes us wise. It makes the heart glad. It lights up the eyes. It's pure. It endures. It's reliable. It's righteous. It's more desirable than gold. It's sweeter than honey. We're warned by them. We're given abundant reward in keeping them. This is your Bible. This is the word of God. This is pure gold, better than gold. That's how we need to approach scripture. How about you? Sometimes it's like we approach it as a chore that I, I got to do and I got to check out. All right, God. All right, I read, I read some verses. Good to go. Now, can I, can I move on with my life now? Can I, can I, can I go about my day now? Jesus, I, I satisfied your requirement here. Like, no, that, this is gold. This is sweeter than honey. It makes our heart glad. It lights up our eyes. It's reliable. This is good for us. That's how we need to view Scripture. Spirit leads us to desire God's Word. Spirit also leads us to obey God's Word. As we read and grow in our love and appreciation for God's Word, the more we will be devoted to it and walk in obedience to it. And that, that's really what the Word of God is. Like, these are not, you know, suggestions from God when he calls us to, to obey this. It's not like, hey, Travis, if you have time, I'd like for you to consider this. Hey, Travis, if, if you know, if it's not too much trouble, maybe consider living this way. Maybe consider loving people in this way. You know, if, it, if you decide to do it. Like, that's, that's not what, what, what God does here. No, he calls us to live in obedience to that. And the Spirit helps us with that. One of the Spirit's jobs is to sanctify us, which means to make us more like Jesus. And one of the ways he does that is, is by leading us to obedience to what we read here, to walk in obedience to Scripture. So the Spirit leads us to God's Word. He leads us to know God's Word, desire God's Word, and obey God's Word. Number two, number two. Second way the Spirit leads us, the Spirit leads us to God's will. So the Spirit leads us to God's Word. It's here. The Spirit leads us to God's will. Following the Spirit will always lead us to the will of God, that, that plan and purpose from God. Now, I believe all of us, God has a plan and purpose for our lives, and the Spirit is what leads us to that. It leads us to God's plan and purpose for our lives. It leads us to God's will. So when we put our faith 
Jesus, we talk about giving our lives to Jesus, right? We, we give our, our lives to Jesus. What that means is, is our lives are no longer about us. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about what Travis wants for his life. It's no longer about my plan and my purpose and my will. It's about Jesus. It's about what he wants. I've given my life to you, Jesus. That's what that means. Look at how Paul refers to his life in chapter 20, verse 24. He says, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. I consider my life of no value. What's his, what's his life about? What's his plan? What's his course? What's his purpose? What's Paul doing? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And look, we know that because nobody would willingly do what Paul did. Nobody would be like, hey, sign me up for false imprisonments. Sign me up for a bunch of beatings. Sign me up to be run out of every town I've ever stepped foot in. Sign me up for a whole host of enemies that constantly oppose everything I'm trying to do. That sounds awesome. Who doesn't want that life? No, nobody would willingly walk into that. The only reason Paul's doing this is because he knows, man, my life is not about me. It's about Jesus and whatever he wants to do. It's, it's all about Jesus. And look, this is not unique to Paul. This is exactly what Jesus calls us to. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He says, then he said to all of them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What's the life Jesus is calling us to? It's a life of death. It's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of picking up our cross every single day. Again, if we say we're in here that like, I'm a follower of Jesus. Travis, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. This is what he wants from us. This is what he expects from his followers. If we're going to follow Jesus, he wants full devotion. It's not Jesus, you're, you're just a part of my life. You're just something that I do sometimes when it works out for my schedule. No, when we follow Jesus, he gets all of us. That's how it's supposed to work. Full devotion and commitment to Jesus. And look, we, we understand this idea of full devotion and commitment. I mean, just think about it. Think, think for those of you that, that, that are married, how many of us want a, a half-committed spouse? Right? Like, how, how many, like if I went to, to Kendra and my wife and I was like, hey, here's how our marriage is going to work. I'll be your husband a couple days a week. Right? You get me on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But other than that, I'm a free man. I get to do whatever I want to do. How many of us would be like, yeah, cool. I want a spouse like that. That sounds great. A half-committed spouse. That sounds amazing. Like, none of us would sign up for that, right? None of us would want that. We're parenting. Look, those of you that are parents, man, that's a, that's a full-time job 24-7, y'all. And I'd be lying if sometimes I didn't feel like, you know what, can I just not be a parent right now? Can I just not be a parent today? Can I just take, can I just take a vacation day from being a parent? Can I put in some PTO time? 
Like, that's not how it works. No, you're a parent 24-7. Like, if I told my kids, hey, you know, love y'all, but I'm not daddy right now. I'm just Travis. I'm, I'm just here, and I'm not, I'm, you know, y'all do whatever you want to do, right? You just go do whatever you want to do, because I don't care, because I'm not, I'm not a dad right now. That's not how that works. Like, so, some people parent that way, and we've seen what their kids look like. Like, that's not good, right? Like, that's not, that's not a recipe for helping your children become fully functioning adults. Right? <clears throat> that's not good for us. So we understand this idea of, of full devotion, of full commitment, and yet so often we come into our relationship with Jesus with this half commitment. Like, Jesus, you know what? Yeah, I'll give you a couple hours on Sunday, but after that, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. And sure, I'll be back the next Sunday as long as I don't have something better to do, you know, as long as there's not an early kickoff for the Falcons game or whatever. Like, sure, I'll come. But, <clears throat> but, but I, I, I'm not gonna give you everything, right? Like, so often we, we bring this, this half commitment into our relationship with Jesus. And that's not how it's supposed to work. Another way the Bible speaks of this is Jesus being the Lord of our lives. Now that's archaic language. None of us goes around using that in our everyday language. Like how, how, when's the last time you referred to somebody as Lord, right? Probably never, right? Unless we're talking about Jesus. But what that word means is, is he's boss. He's king of our lives. He has full claim and authority over our lives. That's what it means to make Jesus the Lord of our life. He's in charge. He gets final say. The bumper sticker, y'all, is wrong. Jesus is not your co-pilot. He's the pilot. And you're just hanging out in coach, waiting for him to tell you what's going on. That's how it's supposed to work. He's in charge. He's the boss. He's king. He is Lord. So when we say we're, we're following Jesus and we're giving our lives to him, this is what that means. It means that we follow Jesus's will over my will. I follow Jesus's will over my will. See, a lot of times I'm tempted to live as though I'm king, right? It's all about me. It's all about what I want. And sure, Jesus, I'll, I'll consider you, right? I'll, I'll, I treat Jesus sometimes as he's just one of my advisors, right? Like Jesus, you know, I'll take your, your, your word, your opinion into account. And sure, I'll follow it as long as it's not too difficult, as long as it's not too uncomfortable, as long as that, that lines up with what I want to do. Sure, Jesus, I'll follow you. But man, the minute it gets too hard, the minute it's too uncomfortable, the minute you call me to do something where I'm like, I don't really like that, I'll just go back to my plan. That's not, that's not what it means to follow Jesus. It means that, that I follow him over my life, my will, my plans, my ambition, my desires. This is how Paul lived, right? Paul was fully devoted to following Jesus, even though for him, that means suffering. Paul knows he's supposed to go to Jerusalem. And he also knows when he gets there, he's going to be met with all kinds of suffering. Man, if Jesus came to us today and he said, Travis, I got this great idea. I want you to go here. Okay, cool. Sounds great, Jesus. Oh, and by the way, when you get there, Travis, you're going to be wrongfully in prison. You're going to spend years in prison and in trials and before a bunch of people that could easily end your life at the drop of a hat if you say something wrong. Sound good? How many of us are like, yes, I mean, that, that sounds great, Jesus. I'd be like, you know what? I, I hear you, Jesus. I hear what you're saying, but can we workshop this a little bit? Maybe can we, can we do less time in prison? Can we do less threats? Like, I'm okay with some, but can we just make, not make it too bad? Like, can the beatings be just, just not that severe? 
Like, can we just, maybe, maybe can I not get stoned? That'd be great. Can we, can we do that? It's like, no, no, no. No, th- this is what I have for you. Like, how many of us are like, yes, yeah, sign me up for that. That sounds great. Look, sometimes when we follow Jesus, it means suffering. It means hardship. It means difficulty in this life. But we can be reminded what, what Paul reminds us of constantly in his letters, what, what he reminds us of throughout his life and ministry. And it's that even though we may face suffering in this world, when we follow Jesus, that's the best thing for us. That's the best thing for us. See, Paul knows that even though we may suffer, that suffering brings us closer to Jesus, makes us more like Jesus. That suffering tells us that one day, one day, there's this day coming where we will spend eternity with Jesus where there's no more suffering. There's no more pain. There's no more evil. There's no more affliction and hardship and difficulty. There's none of that. And we look forward to that day. See, Paul knew that following Jesus was was best no matter what. So we follow Jesus over our will. And we also follow Jesus over others' will. See, sometimes we make ourselves king of our lives, and, and sometimes we make other people king of our lives. And we bow to their expectations, their opinions, their desires, their wants for us. And look, that's exactly what we see with Paul, right? Like he's being told by other believers, by a prophet, by his closest friends, not to go to Jerusalem. They don't want him to go to Jerusalem. But that's exactly where Paul is going because Paul teaches us something here. He teaches us that, that, that it's better to be more devoted to God's will than the will of other people. But that's tough sometimes. That's hard sometimes, right? How often are we living for the will of other people? How often are we bowing to the expectations, the opinion, the desires of other people? Even, even those that are close to us, right? Friends and family, maybe, maybe our boss or our coworkers. How often are we living in what we, we theologians kind of call this fear of man? where I'm, I'm more living for the acceptance, the love, the approval of somebody else than I am Jesus. And I think we all struggle with this from time to time. Here are some, some diagnostic things to consider if we are wondering, do, do I struggle with this? So here's some ways that we, we tend to struggle and live for other people other than ourselves. One of the ways this shows is, is we overcommit. If you have a hard time saying no, you might be living for other people. If you consider yourself a people pleaser, at times. If you're guilty of, of being a people pleaser, sometimes that means that we're, we're living towards the will of somebody else. If you, if you need, if I, if I need something, anything from somebody else, whether that's my spouse, my kids, the people I work for, if I need their respect, if I need their approval, if I need their love, if I need their love to be shown in this very specific way all the time, like if I need that and if I don't have that, then things are going to go really bad for me. I might be living for the will of somebody else. If I'm overly concerned or preoccupied with what others think about me, if I'm always second-guessing my decisions or struggling to even make a decision without the input of somebody else, when I struggle with jealousy, a lot of times that means that I'm living for somebody else. If we tell little white lies to make ourselves look better, surely we've never done that before, right? I'll make you admit that. If we avoid certain people, y'all, I'm not going to lie, I did that this week. I did it this week. I was at the store. I was at Costco, which was a madhouse. I was at Costco. I saw somebody 
from my last church, and I knew, man, engaging them in a conversation is just going to take more emotional output than I can give right now. So guess what I did? I kept my head down, and I walked somewhere else. I'm not proud of that moment. I'm not proud of that moment, but that's exactly what I did. It's exactly what I did. I avoided them. If our emotions are easily affected by other people, what they think, what they say, how they say something. So if like, if somebody does this or does that, man, I'm just, I'm over, like, I, I get really angry. I get really frustrated. I get really sad. That tells me something. If I'm overly prideful, y'all, here's a secret. When we're overly prideful, it usually means we're overcompensating for some shortcoming in our lives. We're living for the will of somebody else. These are just some, some ways. We could go on and on about the ways that we, we fear man more than we fear God. But just like Paul, we have to be more committed to what Jesus wants from us than what other people want from us. So as we're talking about the Spirit leading us to God's will, I just want to give you some, some helpful things because we talk about this a lot in church. Like, what's the will of God? How do I know the will of God? Let me just give you some, some things to consider to help us discern the will of God. One, start with what you know. Start with what you know. Start with God's word. We know he's given us a lot here. He's told us a lot here about what we're supposed to do with our lives. Start here. Start here. After Paul calls us to be led by the Spirit in Galatians 5, he says this starting in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. (coughs) The point here, the point here is that Jesus is concerned more about who we are than what we do. I think in church, and even as, as a pastor, I'm tempted to focus a lot on the doing, right? Like, let's, let's obey the word of God. Let's do these things. Let's make sure we're doing this and that. We can focus a lot on the doing. But when Paul follows, hey, be led by the Spirit, and here's what this looks like, and he gives us a bunch of character traits, what that tells us is Jesus cares more about who we are than what we're doing. Because if we're being the kind of person that Jesus has called us to be, man, the doing is gonna take care of itself. That won't be an issue. Let's focus on who we are. Let's focus on the character and being more like Jesus than the doing. Pray. You wanna know God's will? Pray. Pray a lot and then pray some more. Seek out wise counsel. And that's what Paul did. Now his wise counsel would have led him astray and sometimes that happens, but it's good to talk with and, and hear from other believers in your lives. Get, get input. Ultimately, you, you follow Jesus over them, but, but get wise counsel. And the last thing I would say is remember that God is good. God's not trying to trick you. God's not trying to mess with you. He's a good father that knows how to give good gifts to his kids. So follow him. Trust that he will lead you. Trust that his ways are always what's best for you. And look, sometimes you just gotta take a step of faith and trust that God's got you. Right? It might be like, man, I think God's leading me here. Not 100%, but I think this is what he's doing. So I'm just going to take a step of faith and trust Jesus that you know my heart. You know that I want to follow you. So let me take a step. Like sometimes you got to take a step and trust that God's got us. All right, the last way, we'll, we'll end here. The last way the Spirit leads us. The Spirit leads us to God's word. He leads us to God's will. Third way, the Spirit leads us to God's work. So the last way that we see the Holy Spirit lead us in this passage is he leads us to God's work. He leads us to God's mission. If we follow the Spirit, if we live as though we are bound to the Spirit, we will be led on mission. We will be led on mission. And look, this is what the, the, the entire book of Acts is all about this very thing. 
Look at what Jesus says. Again, this is where we started Acts all the way back almost a year ago. Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why does Jesus give us the Spirit? Why does the Spirit come? Why does the Spirit empower? So that we can be witnesses. So that we can be on mission. This is where the Spirit leads. He always leads us on mission. And that's that's what we see from Paul, right? Paul dedicated his life to being on mission for Jesus. That's what it was all about for him. Everywhere he went, he was sharing the gospel. And look, Jerusalem is going to be no different. When he gets to Jerusalem, what's he going to do? He's going to share the gospel. When he gets arrested, he's going to share the gospel. When he stands before kings and governors and Roman officials, he's going to share the gospel. When he eventually makes his way to Rome and stands before the emperor, he's going to share the gospel. Because for him, his life was all about mission. It was all about following Jesus and his mission to bring the good news of God that he loves us so much that he gave himself up for us, to bring that message to the world. That's what Paul was all about. That's what the Spirit led him. Y'all, we can trust if we live a life fully devoted to Jesus, if we live a life bound by the Spirit, if we live a life that we're following the Spirit, we can trust that we will always be led to mission. We will be always led to God's work. And just like God was bringing Paul to Jerusalem for mission. He's got you where you are for mission, at your job, in your neighborhood, with your friends and family and those in your lives. He's got you there. He's placed you there. He's placed those people around you for mission, for mission. And he's invited us into that work. So the Spirit does. He invites us into that work. He has placed us here in this area that is desperate for the gospel that is in such need for the gospel. And he wants to use us. He wants to use you and me. And he wants to use this church to bring the saving message of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. He's invited us into his work. The Spirit is calling us and leading us to his work. Church, let's follow. Let's follow. Let's be bound to the Spirit. So Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, which we we see for him meant chains and suffering. That's what that means for him, chains and suffering. It means to be bound. But Paul was already bound. He was bound to the Spirit. He was fully devoted and committed to following Jesus wherever that took him and whatever that looked like and whatever that meant, including the chains and suffering. Because by following Jesus, by being bound to the Spirit, Paul was on the path of true life. As Jesus tells us, you want to find your life, you got to lose it for him. Paul knows that following Jesus was the path of life, of eternal life, of of lasting joy and satisfaction. It was the path of grace and mercy and forgiveness. It was the path of love and acceptance. It was the path of freedom, a freedom from our sins, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from condemnation. That's the path of Jesus. That's the path he's called us to. That's the path he's inviting us into. This is where the Spirit wants to lead us. 
So if you're here and you're a believer, you've put your faith in Jesus, let's follow the Spirit. Let's be bound to the Spirit. Let's follow him wherever he wants to take us, whatever that looks like, no matter the cost. Because following Jesus is always what's best for us. His plan is always better than ours. His plan is what leads to true, eternal, everlasting life. Let's follow that. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, and you're seeing now the, the empty promises of this world that only lead to brokenness, you're feeling that maybe, maybe in your loneliness, in your dissatisfaction, in your, your hunger for more, and you're wondering, man, is this, is this it? Is this, is this all there is to life? That that still small voice is telling you, you know, there, there's something more. Just telling me that, that that's the Spirit. He's speaking to you, he, he's leading you, and he's leading you to Jesus. And if you want to be done with the futility of this life, of wondering if there's more, of trying to break out of your brokenness only to find more brokenness, if you're ready to be done with that, Jesus provides the path to true life. And all he says is, is put your faith in me. Believe in me, and you have all of that and more. Believe in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. If you want to do that today, I'm going to pray in a moment. The band's going to come back up here and lead us in this time of worship. And if you want to do that, all you got to do is tell Jesus that. Say, Jesus, I'm done living for me. I'm done living for this world, and I want to live for you. Just tell Jesus that. And he does. He saves us. He rescues us. He sets us free. And if you're here and you want to do that, I would love to talk with you. I'll be in the back hanging out. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to answer any questions you might have. And again, I'm, I'm going to pray in a moment, and, and we're going to step into a time of worship like we do every week. We're going to step into a time of communion like we do every single Sunday. And believer in the room, this is, this is your time. This is the time for you. See, when we partake in communion, what the Bible tells us is, is we step into the presence of God. By just the simple act of worshiping and partaking in the bread and the cup, we, <clears throat> we enter into the presence of God. And we, we eat and we drink and we, we sit with him. And we worship him. This is the gift that he's given us. So believer in the room, I want to encourage you, just take some time to yourself as, as I pray, as the band plays, spend some time in prayer, preparing your heart. Maybe you need to spend some time repenting of, of half committing to Jesus, of maybe following your will or others' will over Jesus'. Maybe spend some time Repenting, and look, this, this is the beauty of what communion reminds us of, is that there's always grace. There's always mercy. There's always forgiveness and love at the feet of Jesus. If we are in Christ, there is now therefore no condemnation. So no matter how you've stumbled, how you've messed up this week, we can approach the throne of Jesus in full confidence, not because of us, not because of what we've done or haven't done or earned or haven't earned. It's all because of Jesus. This is what communion reminds us of. This is why we take it every week. It's because we sit in his presence and we're reminded of his grace and mercy and forgiveness and love for us. So believer in the room, as you pray, as you prepare your hearts, as you're ready, you can go to either side. You take the bread, you take the cup. We eat and we drink and we remember what Jesus has done for us. And we come back 
and we stand and we worship our good God and Savior. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Jesus, I thank you that my standing before you, my position before you, my welcoming before you doesn't doesn't depend on what I'm able to do. But it's all because of you, Jesus. Thank you for that. Jesus, I pray that you continue to lead us, Lord. Give us a heart fully devoted to you, fully set on living for you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We, we lift high your name today, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.